Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 29th of October 2010. I always do the same monotonous thing at the beginning of each show and advise new listeners to go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and you'll find hundreds of hours of talks I've given over the past few years which you can download for free. And while you're at it, remember that front page has a lot of other sites I have there. These are my official sites in case the com or the other ones go down the top ones. And if you find sticking in fact on download, try these alternate sites because um, so many go into the com site at the same time. Uh, according to Yahoo, it causes problems for them, poor souls, which I don't believe for a minute, of course. Anyway, yeah, while you're at it too, remember that you bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers here as guests. If I did, I'd be sitting awfully pretty with a lot of staff and uh, getting houses built all over the place. But I'm not, so therefore it's up to you, the listeners, to uh, support me by buying the books and discs and so on I have for sale. That's what makes me take over, and it costs a lot of cash to do even what I'm doing here. And I, I, my reason for this is really it gives me more scope to say what I want to say, and I can go through subjects without really interruption uh, for a whole hour. Now, the, the, the show is paid for by advertisers, obviously, who d- deal with RBN directly, and that pays RBN for broadcasting the show, and it pays their bills and their airtime, and it pays the staff and equipment and so on. But I've got nothing to do with that at all. So help me with mine and buy the things I have for sale. There's only a few things there because I really never have time. You'll not believe how my time is taken up here to churn out more material. I wish I really could. I've got a lot of stuff half finished and three quarters finished, but nothing quite finished because there's always an emergency crops up and takes over. Now, from the U.S. to Canada, you can always purchase the books and so on at cuttingthroughthematrix.com by personal check. You can use an international postal money order from your post office, You can, which is good too because you can track it if you think it might go missing, but none have so far. And you can send cash. Or you can use PayPal to donate or to purchase. If you want to purchase, send the PayPal donation. You'll see the prices at cuttingthroughmates.com. And follow it by an email with your name, address, and the order, and I get it right out to you. That works pretty smoothly, too. And across the rest of the world, you have the same idea except for personal check. We can only use personal check from, from the U.S. to Canada uh, because really we're all one big block now, apparently, one big region. But from Europe, you have to use uh, cash. You can use Western Union, which is kind of heavy, is steep. And you can use MoneyGram, which is cheaper. And you can, and you can actually purchase a MoneyGram check over there and post it. That's even cheaper still. That takes about a week to get here. You can also, as I say, send PayPal a donation and your, your email with an in-name address and order. And I can get out to you too fast. So that's the fastest way to do it, certainly. And eventually that's all going to be, it's all going to be cashless society, as we all know. But in the meantime, it's up to you how you want to deal with it. And donations too, remember, are appreciated straight donations with no strings attached. 
because it costs a lot to do what I'm doing with all the different sites up and everything else. Never mind getting to your bed at 2 or 3, maybe 4 in the morning after the show, because I'm going to upload all this stuff as well. And they don't give me top upload speed on the satellite, which I also have to uh, basically rent. You rent the space on it, and you pay for all that. It's classed as high speed, but they don't give you that. And they've got me on a lock right now, so I can only put so much up at, at, at the same time at a certain low speed. But everything today is double think and double speak. If you want transcripts, remember they all carry transcripts. All these sites I have in English of a lot of the talks I've given for prints up. And if you want them in other languages, go into alanwatchsentinel.eu and take your pick from a variety of other languages. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, this big strange system we're born into, where your parents take everything for granted because they were brainwashed before you were, and their job is to partly brainwash you and make you think that everything's normal as well, and most folk actually will. If the mammals, if the adult mammals don't train their children what to beware of, the young ones are easy prey to the predators around, and my goodness, we have lots of predators in this society, and they run the world actually. And they don't simply act as simple predators, they use sciences as well to prey on you because they understand how we tick. The biggest amount of financing that's really gone into humanity and the study of humanity has gone into how your mind ticks and how the groups work together and how nations work together, how to create cultures and destroy cultures. And in other words, if you find what creates a culture and what makes it strong, you find ways to destroy it. And uh, that's what they've been up to for an awful long time. Uh, the group who will run the world and bring you the wonderful United Nations, they had to destroy the cultures by degrading them step by step through means they would actually enjoy at the time. And they give you the culture industry and everybody copies and, copies and mimics what they see, something that even Plato knew an awful long time ago. And you have no idea of the, the amount of your tax money goes in to these projects to make sure that you're brainwashed in the proper way, the proper way, for the proper way that the authorities want you to behave at any given period. Sometimes they'll take a society down and they'll point out the chaos of the producers. Say, My goodness, look at the crime, the unwanted children, the, the drugs, the prostitution, the crime. And then they, they get the, the police force in and then they, they change more laws to have more authority over you. You can't have that in a society where the culture is intact. In fact, you don't need most of the cops either. Everyone knows the basic rules. And you please yourselves. That's how it used to be not too long ago. And people don't know, too, that before uh, World War II began, a group came from Germany and from, from Vienna, too, from the Vienna School. And they had combined a couple of their doctrines to do with a, a form of Marxism, which they hoped to bring into the world and run men properly, the way they should be organized. And they would dictate from the top down, you know, having, having the proper intelligentsia do it to make sure everyone behaved in the proper, proper way and be, be ruled like a big machine, you see. But more so than that, they would also work right down to how many people should be born for any given function. Uh, no more free choice in anything. It was just so untidy when you were decided, I, I think I'll try to work at this and I might not like it. I'll try something else. That was just too untidy 
They wanted to pick you at school to find out what you had an ability for and train you solely in that ability. And that's all you'd know. You would know nothing about any other science, in fact, or any other particular area. That's what the Soviets did. So they came over, as I say, to escape Germany. It was coming into World War II, and they were put up by Britain and the United States and given incredible funding from the international bankers and foundations to set up their vast projects. And here is one of them here. It was called the Radio Project. And we know that Britain, when it started up the BBC, uh, tested out Tavistock uh, techniques on the general population to see if they could alter their behavior. Remember what Skinner found out too. You put something in the people's environment and it will alter their behavior. The radio was one. The television followed it. Because people want to come home at a certain time and everybody shuts up and says nothing as that particular show is airing. And they usually left you with serials, so you had a cliffhanger at the end and then they would find out how many folk would tune in the next day. They'd altered your behavior. They'd altered what you would be doing otherwise if you weren't tuning in to listen to this episode. And they also aimed primarily again at women. They thought women are far more adventurous when it comes to change they'll go for it faster than men. So this project here is about the U.S. They use one on the United States, too, in league with Tavistock, of course. And it's called Radio Project. As it says, Radio Project was a social research project funded by, guess who again, the Rockefeller Foundation, to look into the effects of mass media on society. In 1937, the Rockefeller Foundation started funding research to find the effects of new forms of mass media on society, especially radio. Several universities joined up at a headquarters was formed at the School of Public and International Affairs at Princeton University. That was also part of the psychology department. The following people were involved. Here's the old names again. Paul Lazarus, director of the radio projects. Theodore Adorno. These guys all had CIM. It was actually OSS clearance, by the way. Theodore Adorno, a massive player in all of this. He ended up running a big part of the culture industry, designing, along with Bertrand Russell and the Macy Group, uh, the kind of culture they'd bring in the 50s and in the 60s. In fact, he owned a lot of the rights of various groups uh, for their music, and it's often said that he wrote a lot of it. Anyway, it says here, Theodorno, uh, who was chief of the music division, uh, Handley uh, Cantrell, a psychologist at Princeton University's Department of Psychology, Gordon Allport, Another of Lazar Field's assistants went on to be the Tavistock Institute's leading representative in the United States. Frank Stanton, researcher from CBS, sent to help the project, went on to become president of CBS. Amongst the project's first studies were soap operas, this is back in the 30s, known as radio dramas at the time. They were doing what Britain had already tried out with Tavistock. The radio project was researched in the 1930 Halloween broadcast of The War of the Worlds. That's where they used Orson Welles to, to narrate it over the radio to make it sound like it was actually happening, and they panicked lots of people. It says they found that the estimated 6 million people who heard this broadcast, 25% thought it was real. Most of the people who panicked did not think it was an invasion from Mars that was occurring, but rather an invasion by the Germans. They're trying to see how, much the, how well their propaganda worked, hyping up the public, you see. It was later determined that because the radio broadcasts from the Munich crisis earlier in the year, the masses were more prone to this. The third research project was that of listening habits. 
Because of this, a new method was developed used to survey an audience. This was dubbed the Little Annie Project. The official name was the Stanton Laser Field Program Analyzer. This allowed not one uh, only to find out if a listener liked performance, but how they felt at any individual moment through a dial which they could turn to express their preference, positive or negative. This has become uh, since an essential tool in focus group research. And I've gone through focus research groups with Bernays before. Uh, Theodore Adorno produced numerous reports on the effects of atomized listening, which radio supported and of which he was highly critical. However, because of profound methodological disagreements with Lazarfield over the use of techniques like listener surveys and Little Annie, Adorno thought both grossly simplified and ignored the degree to which expressed taste were the result of commercial marketing. Adorno left the project in 1941. That's when he went on to join the Macy Group that was authorized by the president to change the culture of the United States, by the way. Uh, when they combined with the Macy Group, the old Vienna Club, and also with um, the group that came over from, uh, Ger- another group that came over from Germany. They put them all together and gave them massive funding to control and alter the U.S., using again funding from the government and from the foundations. Rockefeller being a massive investor in this big project. They have never stopped, by the way. Never stopped. And they, they used the universities, even that one with War of the Worlds, they used the whole psychological department of Princeton University and, and departments from the, from the war department as well were involved in it to see what, how they could vastly manipulate whole populations uh, in this fashion. Quite something, isn't it? And folk haven't got a clue what's going on. Now, I touched on this the other day, just touched on it, didn't go through it. And it's about persuasive technology. Because you see, everything you you do now uh, is is really a method of prompting. They're prompting you, those that sell you the various um, computers and iPhones and everything else to do with it, uh, actually hire people to find ways to prompt you. I've gone through Sunstein and his uh, prompting uh, techniques, and he's one of the big leaders in it. But this here is from a, a company, a, but it's co-produced by UBM TechWeb and O'Reilly Conferences, it says. And this was on the, the Web2 Expo San Francisco 2010. So it was a big workshop for all the big players. And it says it was taught by Kendra Markle, and it breaks down as follows. And she gives you the intros. It says, intro, tools and techniques for persuading people quickly and inexpensively are here. The platforms for persuasions are open even to those with limited technical skill. We cover examples of persuasion on websites, how to persuade folk through what they're reading, mobile applications, texting, Facebook, video games, and reflect on the trends and upcoming opportunities we see at the time of the workshop. And the next part is brain science, that's neuroscience. Our brains are wired to stereotype. Follow the crowd, learn from example, react to triggers, etc. With careful design, our technology can act like and exhibit appropriate traits to persuade our brains and influence our attitudes and actions. For example, technology that volunteers personal information before asking for the user information is likely to be more successful in in obtaining it. They've got you covered every different way. They they know you down through Z, A to Z. Messages intended to stop the user from doing something are more effective when accompanied by a picture of a person of the same gender. 
we, we talk briefly about why these associations exist in our brains and lead up how they translate into web development. Persuasive techniques. We'll describe at least five of those broadly applicable principles of persuasive technology and the pros and cons of each. These include tailoring the experience, surveillance, operant conditioning. I hope you've all read into operant conditioning. Reduction, tunneling, and self-monitoring, amongst others. Self-monitoring, by the way, is also called self-policing. And that's what the UN is always harping on about through their political correctness. That they'll bring in a society who will be, who will be very politically correct and they'll be self-policing because they'll be scared stiff. They're being watched or that someone could even read your thoughts. No kidding. Self-monitoring and others. And I'll, and I'll go on through some more of this stuff when I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix, just going through an article here from the Expo San Francisco 2010, from Web2 it was called, it was a big expo, it was on there for all the big players who are currently and will be in the future playing with your head, because that's their job, you see, to make you do things, alter your behavior, politicians actually pay the money too, to find ways to alter your behavior, and it's through your computers, it'll getting prompts and all the rest of it and shortly you'll see built into all the all your emails little pop-ups will come up when you are politically incorrect and you'll be asked in a nice voice i'm sure do you really want to carry on uh, with this this is politically incorrect this could be charged you could make be fined two credits or five credits or something like that and i'm not kidding this is what it's all about but most of it you see works on you without you knowing about it at all because they don't tell you what they're doing it's called prompting etc and leading your your wave of thinking they understand you and they categorize you into a whole bunch over 30 different types and it said here that um it says, we'll talk about technology and, and how each of these can be persuasive for different types of behavior. We'll do a short exercise for each technique to give attendees a chance to apply the principle to their own work and keep people awake and learning from doing. It says, case studies. Here we'll delve into the strengths and weaknesses of existing persuasive platforms, such as mobile phones and Facebook, as well as some emerging platforms, such as persuasive video. Persuasive, persuasive video. We'll look at good and bad examples of each and discuss ways that certain popular websites and services could be better influential. And it says we'll take participants a chance uh, or give them a chance to analyze an example of what we we provide with their neighbor to encourage them to think. Design process and exercises. Our eight-step design process starts with determining the exact behavior you are targeting. It could be anything in the general population. What behavior do you do not like or whatever? And understanding it with a grid of 35 behavior types. Next, choose a receptive audience and identify the barriers. Then choose the appropriate technological channel. Find relevant examples. Imitate successful examples. Test and iterate quickly. And lastly, expand on success. We'll also show a model for behavior change that involves using brain science, that's neuroscience, to increase motivation, 
remove barriers by breaking the behavior down into smaller, achievable pieces, and finally sparks action by sending a trigger. Then they show you more about that, how to do it at their website. Next, you'll apply those, this process as a group to a few potential applications, such as a virtual coach for a health connect condition, a trustworthy website of resources, etc. We'll guide the audience through the design process, letting them decide on the features and platform for the application. Now, it says here, Kendera builds persuasive technology tools for healthy behavior change. This is a big player here, folks. I hope you're listening carefully. It says that she works with a persuasive technology lab at Stanford University on mobile persuasion and psychology of Facebook. <laughs> All you schmucks on Facebook. And social networking for health. She does research at Kaiser Permanente using technology tools to help patients manage obesity. See, they're tagging that too. And chronic conditions. Her, her company, uh, Alter Actions Org, Produces tools for mental health, including recovering from depression, learning mindfulness, and synthesizing happiness, and building willpower, etc., 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 etc. Now, they're all using this. Governments are using this all the time in all their advertising, and the big marketers are using it all the time as well. And tie that in with Sunstein, remember, with his particular big units, very important units, who are doing a lot of stuff for the government, for schools, and for the general population to change everyone's behavior. And Sunstein also said they'd have to target the patriot communities by infiltration. Well, they have done that years ago, actually. They don't wait for them to start up. They often set up their own ones and call it patriot uh, uh, ones. And then they, of course, uh, change what a patriot even means anymore. And that's part of it. He said, we can diffuse any conflict before it starts because... He said um, we can integrate ourselves, infiltrate amongst them, and then gradually, uh, through argumentation and thought processes and alteration, um, they'll have no reason for being. They'll say, what's the point of doing what we're doing? They'll no longer believe in what they're doing. That's how you diffuse it. They've been at this for years, these characters. Years and years and years. Before they even gave you the computer, in fact. And people are utterly oblivious of it. Utterly oblivious of it. But they did say that they target other patriot shows and so on, especially forums. It's so easy to implant them into the forums. The guy says all the right stuff. He seems to know more than most. People follow them, and then he ends up getting them to attack other people who are genuine. And that's what they do. They use the schmucks as the foot soldiers, and they attack the genuine patriot sites, bombarding them with rotten emails and stuff like that. A lot of money is paid to these infiltrators to destroy uh, what's the truth being put up there. An awful lot. Now these days too, the world has totally changed. Don't call the cops if you're in trouble. They might kill you. And there's just too much of this going on. Of course, we've seen so many incidences in the past. But here's another one here from Britain. And it shows you, they've got a video here. I'll put it up tonight at cuttingthroughmedias.com. And it's about um, a poor soul who... (laughs) It says here, shocking video shows a stab victim being repeatedly punched by police who were sent out to help him. It says, it's a shocking moment, police began beating a restrained man, he's already restrained, who had been stabbed in the head as he lay bleeding in a park. And I'll go into this one when I come back from this break. Brave new world, it certainly is.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Going into our new world order, which is training us all the time, that we better be awfully good or we'll get our heads bashed in by the authorities who seem to have a lot of permission to do a lot of that stuff today. And it said here, as I say, this, this guy staggered into a park after being stabbed in the head and the, the police were called and they were there very shortly before they started beating him up. And it says here, um, it says, Darren Grace had staggered in Liverpool's Stanley Park in the early hours of Sunday, August the 1st, when three officers at first came to his aid. However, footage shows that Mr. Grace seems to try to resist treatment. One officer rains down a volley of eight punches onto his injured head. They really know where to go for a distance, make sure they finish him off. eh? While a female officer puts her hands on his arm. It says, five minutes later, just before 8 p.m., both she and uh, another officer appear to punch Mr. Grace in the head and back as he lies face down on the ground. That sounds like the New World Order to me, actually. The 31-year-old was later charged with two counts of assaulting a police officer. Can you believe this? The guy's unconscious, stabbed in the head. as he's been beaten up with the cops. And they, but they, they always have to try that to see why they did it, you see. They, they always have to get a charge him. So they, they, they charged him with assaulting a police officer when he was unconscious, of course. You know. It says charges which were eventually dropped when the Crown Prosecution Service lawyers saw the tape and realized there wasn't enough evidence to provide a realistic prospect of a conviction. It says, uh, after receiving basic treatment, Mr. Grace was held in a cell for 11 hours. It's after getting your head stabbed. Today, Merseyside Police accused the, uh, the, An- the Anfield Joiner, is a, is a carpenter, of being violent towards the officers, adding CCTV cameras can never show the whole story. Whoa, they never show the whole story, right? After being shown the tape by the Liverpool Echo, the divorce voluntarily referred the incident to the Independent Police Complaints Commission, which of course is run by ex-cops. It says, but the watchdog said it was happy for Merseyside Police to conduct its own investigation and it's now the subject of a professional standards department probe that again is done by uh, ex-cops who are higher up there and a higher order of the lodge, of course. Mr. Grace has not lodged a a formal complaint with Merseyside Police and will not cooperate with the general general inquiry saying he has no confidence in the force. Well, I wouldn't have any confidence in them either, the lying bunch of you-know-whats. He said, I remember waking up in the cell with my face covered in blood, my head throbbing. I could feel the cut where I'd been stabbed. The three officers involved remain on duty and no disciplinary action has yet been taken. Superintendent Mike Shaw from Merseyside Police Professional Standards Department told the Liverpool Echo, as a police force we expect the highest standards from our officers where those standards are found to be breached. Disciplinary action is taking. Like, don't be naughty and if you're ever doing that again, don't be caught on tape. Because that's what they tell them, you see. Anyway, they were called to disturbance in the morning, it says, on Sunday, August the 1st, and uh, in Butterfield Street in Arnfield, in which it was reported that a male had been stabbed. Inquiries led officers to Stanley Park upon arrival. They found Mr. Grace with head injuries in need of medical assistance. During the course, the, the courts of, uh, during the courts of, I mean, that must mean the course, they can't spell anymore. The course of administering medical assistance to Mr. Grace, he became violent towards the officers. Remember, what were they pouring on his head? 
In this case, I understand that members of the public will be concerned when watching this footage. However, I'd like to stress that CCTV cameras can never show the whole story. Well, it's good enough when you go on about the 7-7 bombers that missed their trains and still apparently were on them, even though they hadn't run at the right time. The Professional Standards Department have been in contact with Mr. Grace and his legal representatives and have been advised there will be no complaint against police at this time and that Mr. Grace does not want to take part in any misconduct investigation. Nonetheless, in order to understand the full circumstances of the incident, the Professional Standards Department has launched an investigation. I don't care what they came up with. Since when is it lawful for cops to, to pound and pound and pound a guy who's unconscious? Hmm? For the hell of it. You know, we're putting up with more and more and more. See, this is part of the same training that I just mentioned. This is another form of training the public. Uh, if you're if you're at all suspicious, even walking out uh, after getting stabbed, you're going to get your head kicked in with the cops. You see, dehumanization and fear has got to be built up until we grovel and grovel and grovel and just jump to attention when authority speaks to us. And you better believe that is the purpose of it all. It's not happening by chance. Too many of these articles about. Look at all the taser articles too. Anyway, here's another article in Bisphenol A after they keep saying, oh, it's, just, it's okay to eat this stuff by the by the spoonful, according to the Melamine Manufacturers Association that paid off the European Union. Anyway, Bisphenol A is now definitely linked to male infertility. Uh, a controversial chemical used for decades in the mass production of food containers and baby bottles has been linked to male infertility. Listen to this for the first time. And this is from The Telegraph. For the first time. Oh, I, was, I was talking about this years ago. And then it goes on about... Um, it says it's found in most food and drink cans, including tins of infant formula milk. I can, this has been going on for about 25 years or 30 years. It's also used in baby bottles, though this is slowly being phased out. They've said that for the last 30 years, too. It's been the subject of intense research and it's no, it is a known endocrine disruptor which in large quantities interferes with the release of hormones. That's why they've got so many guys taking up knitting. It says earlier studies have linked it to a, a low sex drive, impotence and DNA damage in sperm. And, and the new five-year study claims to have found a link between the levels of BPA in the blood and male infertility. Well, they keep finding the same things over and over again. You see, they've done this so many times and done nothing about it because that's what it's designed to do to males. It's the agenda. There are many ways of conducting a warfare. Many, many ways. This is just one of them. Long term, keep quiet about it, watch the effects over generations, and we see the effects, we see the effects of it all around us in the modern young male. Anyway, I'll put that up to it as well. And uh, school buses test fingerprint scan. That's another one that came out in USA Today. School, school uh, districts are turning to high-tech solutions from fingerprint scans to electronic cards to track the children on school buses and keep them from getting off at the wrong stops. And, of course, it's pushed by the company Biometric Observation Security Systems, which says BOSS, that's his name, B-O-S-S, that's being tested. So it's all a hurrah hurrah for boss, big boss, I guess. It was going to rake all the cash in and it's got all the contracts with all these different schools. And no, no doubt, too, there's kickbacks to the, to the headmasters that give them the contracts or the head of the board of the school. Because that's how real life works, you know. That's how it really does work. Quite something. Quite something indeed. And 
<laughs> this article here is about some. <laughs> it's from the states as well. Something you're expecting too. The Indianapolis Star, it says, armed security guards have been hired at several state unemployment center sites because of concern about how people could react when their jobless benefits run out. So they're hiring armed guards, I guess, to shoot the people who freak out when they're told they're now broke and they're not going to get any help in the States. Jobless checks will be terminated starting in December for about 100,000 people who have exhausted the maximum 99 weeks provided through multiple federal extension periods the state officials said. Department of Workforce Development pros, uh, spokesman Mark Lotter says the agency is merely being cautious. I wonder if they bring tanks in too, be cautious. Anyway, it says, given the upcoming expiration of the federal extensions and increased stress on some of the unemployed, we thought added security would provide an extra level of protection for employees and clients. <laughs> don't, don't be a client. You saw what the cops did the last guy, eh? <laughs> they shoot you. Expiration dates are staged or staggered over several months through May, depending on what or when the extension pay started. Congress is considering funding an extra extension of the unemployment compensation program, but it hasn't happened so far, Lotter says. Thousands of Hoosiers were without benefits for about 10 weeks before the last extension was authorized in June. Guards will be assigned to all 36 offices where unemployment insurance benefits are handled. There are 92 offices statewide, but most of those are not full-service branches. Lutter says some offices have had guards for nearly two years now. Armed guards were hired for the two Indianapolis area offices last year. The overall cost for the security is $1 million. Don't give it to the people who need the money. No, give it to armed guards. <laughs> for with the federal funds designated for administration of the unemployment system, Lutter said. So, this is a wonderful, brave new world, a gentler, softer, kinder, kinder world, you know, as long as you're not poor. But anyway, that's how it's going, eh? Now, the UN just signed another big world biodiversity charter. You see, it's ongoing with the Kyoto, this, that, and the next thing. UN Biodiversity Conference adopts the Nagoya, the Nagoya Protocol. Ah, so, the second roundup. It says, Nagoya, Japan. Delegates from around the world adopted. It's great how they get them in all these faraway places you can't attend, eh? To make sure that no one can complain. Delegates from around, so the delegates to the here, to talk all the, the, all the ones who are authorized by the United Nations, all the NGOs and the sponsors. From around the world adopted early Saturday an internal protocol. Lovely, all these protocols that they come out with, eh? Aimed at protecting biodiversity and sharing the benefits of natural genetic resources. Isn't that nice? Sharing the benefits of natural genetic resources. Senior, senior ministers and government officials from more than 190 countries had gathered in the central Japanese city of Nagoya to discuss how to stop environmental destruction and the loss of plant and animal species. But who else was in on this, eh? After st- uh, stalled talks, parties to the United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity reached agreement on adoption of a protocol for the equitable sharing of benefits derived from the use of genetic resources, such as plants from which big businesses develop drugs, as big pharma, cosmetics, and other products. And you thought it was all about wildlife and that and helping the animals, eh? On the final day of the 12-day talks, Ryo Matsumoto, chairman of the meeting and Japan's environment minister, says presented his own proposal to try to break the deadlock after negotiations failed to read agreement, reach agreement Tuesday or Thursday. The adoption of the protocol on access and benefit sharing of genetic resources was described as a long-term cherished dream by Matsumoto.
the CBD born of the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. That was the Earth Summit charter that Rockefeller paid for, and his front man, little Maurice Strong, who was also the head of the World Bank at one time, uh, was the front man for any spiel out into existence. And every other country signed on it through this agreement that becomes law. You see, where it gave all the animals and all the grass and everything rights, but nothing was mentioned about humans having rights whatsoever. This is along with the United Nations Climate Change Convention. It's got three main objectives. Conserve biological diversity, to use biological diversity in a sustainable way, and to share the benefits of genetic resources fairly and equitably amongst the big gangsters at the top, like pharma. Developing countries have demanded not only shares of future projects, uh, profits from resource or commercialization, but also retroactive ones. A clause that included the latter was taken out of the final document. But the draft took the view of developing countries into account when seeking the creation of a global benefit-sharing mechanism. Such countries were also urged to consider the need for immediate access to genetic resources such as pathogens during medical emergencies. And then, of course, they go into, um, again, the, the, the whole global uh, climate change stuff, you know, changes in the weather and stuff like that's all wrapped up into it too. And then, uh, who was all there? All the usual stuff, the World Wildlife Fund and so on and so on, Greenpeace and yada, yada, yada. And your government representatives are all there to sign it into law. That's how things are done in the world, far, far away, and hardly mentioned in most of the media. Now, <laughs> this is, ties in with this one. Carbon trading a project, a project, a world's first. And I told you a few days ago about how the men and weigh you and all the rest of it shortly because the World Health Organization first put the war on smoking and every country has re-signed that for the last five years. And that's why tobacco is getting priced out of existence. And they're going after the, the war on obesity now from the United Nations again and tying it in with carbon trading. I said this would happen two years ago. It was like a joke, but it's true. Carbon trading project, a world first. A world first trial for personal carbon trading scheme. See, everyone's going to get your personal tax for your carbon trading, everybody out there who's listening. That will also target obesity at the same time. I knew that would happen. It's to be conducted by Southern Cross University on Norfolk Island. The three-year project will involve giving everyone on the island a carbon loaded with carbon units, a card, according to the man leading it, Gary Egger. Then every time they go and pay for their petrol or their power, and from the second year their food, it will, so there he's bringing your food into it too. Uh, it will not only be paid for in money, but it will also come off the carbon units they're given for free to initially, of course, initially free at the start of the program, Professor Egger said. If people are thrifty and don't buy a lot of petrol as gasoline or power or fatty foods, they will have units to spare which they can cash in at the bank. See, isn't this treating us like lab rats, folks? Don't you see this? It says, if they aren't frugal and produce a lot of carbon and consume unhealthy foods, then every year they will have to buy extra units, he said. This is going to be put in place for all of you out there. Until you're all lovely little vegans, you know, eating like squirrels with little fast dashes stuck in, sticking little nuts into you. And I'm not joking about that. Professor Eager said the main goals were to test the effectiveness of a personal carbon trading scheme, cut per capita carbon emissions, and reduce obesity and obesity-linked behaviours. It's not just for obesity, believe you me. You're all going to get your, car- your personal carbon trading uh, taxes every year, and your cars to fill out to see if you're being good for big government. 
The SCU project is the first of its kind to be held in a closed system and island environment. That's how they had to test all these things out, in fact. And has been made possible by a $390,000 linkage project grant by the Australian Research Council. It was fantastic that the council recognised the importance of bringing together the whole aspect of climate change, you know, weather change and health, he said. This is a project for looking at reducing climate change and obesity in the one hit. So they're still connecting human-made uh, global warming and all that stuff with uh, obesity and, and people and all the rest of it. The scheme, which was initially developed at Oxford University in the UK, who, where else, recognised that obesity and climate change have similar drivers so we're, ta- we're tackling the two of the world's biggest problems at this moment with the one project, Professor Egger said. The Oxford people had not been able to develop a successful methodology for testing the idea, he said, but the Australian project team had been able to move the, the idea forward by identifying Norfolk Island as the test location. They've done the same thing with cars and given them rationing for cars and stuff and other islands as well. I think I read one last year about that. The reason it is so suitable is you have an isolated community with a small population living a similar lifestyle to people on mainland Australia. You can measure everything that goes in and out. There you are. There you are. They're locked in and you're under the microscope. If the travel is a success, it could be scaled up to a country level and ultimately to a world level, Professor Egger said. Yep, tomorrow the world, they these megalomaniacs, and they know what they're doing, and they, and they can do it. But you know why? Because all you prunes out there sit and take it. You sit and take every piece of fecal matter that's, that's thrown down on your head. And you will get what you deserve for just accepting it all. I'm telling you. Back in a moment after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and just before I take a caller, I gotta, I gotta read this one here, because it's, it's quite, it shows you how this system is. For, for those out there who live in some happy, happy little worlds, tweeting away and texting away and, and riding the rainbow that takes them to all these wonderful space age places and stuff like that, there, here's the real world. The FTC drops investigation of Google. Remember, they were collecting all, all the data and stealing folks' passwords and stuff. Less than a week after the company X hosts Obama fundraiser. So they dropped it. The FTC dropped it because a big bundle of money went Obama's way, you see. It says, it says here, um, Google's Marissa Myers hosting President Obama for a Democratic Party fundraiser tonight. That's before it happened. Takes were $30,000 ahead. That's from the San Francisco Chronicle, October 31st. Then after analyzing unencrypted Wi-Fi payload data captured by its Street View cars, Google now admits. So they admit that they have stole it and all the rest of it. That was their job, to steal it all. That was in the ZDNet, October 23rd. Then it says the Federal Trade Commission has closed its investigation into Google's collection of consumer data through its Street View cars. That's from the San Francisco Chronicle, October 27th, 2010. Because, you see, they just donated the cash payoff to Obama's re-election. That's how the real world works, folks. You know, at one time, and at least in the States, the people had the right of the individual. 
Because if you have no right as individuals, you have no rights at all. And the people would clamor up and get things done occasionally and scare the ones at the top once in a while when they got out of hand. The whole idea, and even the United Nations said this, that the worst enemy is individualism. It would have to be destroyed. And that's why the group that create the group mentality who do nothing but tweet to each other and text to each other to see what they're all doing together. Anything but be an individual. Without individuality, you have nothing. You're conquered. You're given your political correct thoughts and everything else that you're supposed to do and think and say. How to speak, how to speak, how to behave, what to believe about any particular topic. Political correctness to the extreme, but no individuality. Then they use a the whole group against you. Oh, you can't say that. That's this. That's that. There's always a slang name for it. They slur upon you like like treacle. They use power of the group. Now there's um, there's Glenn in Philly. There, Are you there, Glenn. Uh, yes. Hello, Alan. I'm here. Yes. Good evening. Um, Good evening. Early in, early in the program, you were listing a bunch of uh, names of movers and shakers, and one of them was a Gold, Gordon Allport. Mm-hmm. And I remember writing a paper about that guy in college in one of my psych courses, and he's the one who had the theory about uh, the three different kind of body types, the endomorph, the ectomorph, and the That's mesomorph. Right. That's right. And the, yeah. en- the endomorph was basically like the the paunchy person, the ectomorph was a tall, skinny person, and the mesomorph was the, you know, um, chiseled, more muscular build. Mm -hmm. And I remember even taking issue with it at the time. I mean, I I, I remember explicating, you know, all the details, and then, like, basically refuting. I mean, it seemed ridiculous and remarkably narrow and everything. But at at that time, when I was in school, that was no longer necessarily gospel, but it certainly had been for some time. Oh, psychiatry picked it up and classified people with mental illnesses with that physical description. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. I mean, um, all you know, all ports. How can people actually think this stuff's you know valid? And even Mm -hmm. then, I knew you know that was crazy. That's right. Well, now they're into the deeper stuff now that came out of it. That really was a psychological testing of manipulation of vast groups of people. And they started with the students, too, to get them to be the the new evangelists, to go into society and start teaching it to other young students to bring in this controlled society. But you're quite right, absolutely right, with their fraudulent findings. And now they use all the consensus facilitation to mold everybody's opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. You're dead on. But thanks for calling in. And from Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.